What a great privilege. And what an opportunity to be here today that we've had so far. We are here worshiping God, giving praise and honor to the Almighty this very moment. And actually, as soon as the announcements were finished and Stanley started that first song, worship had begun. And we've been giving him worship since, and we're worshiping him right now. So was my heart and was your heart right as we were singing these songs? We thinking about those lyrics. Was our heart right as we, as Joe led us up to the throne of God and we talked to God in prayer? Was our heart right and prepared as we gave monetarily this morning? Was our heart thinking about the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we took that bread, as we let that fruit of the vine touch our tongue and taste it? Were we thinking about the sacrifice that was made. Were we thinking about, as far as worship, the scripture that Jacob just read? And are we thinking about worship right now? Because it hasn't stopped. I want to ask every one of us a personal question to think about that you can answer to yourself rather easily. What are you going to do with this lesson? And I say it because of this. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just a mouthpiece, ugly at that, but that's all I am. I'm just speaking the word of God to the best of my ability and to talk about it. So the question is not really, what are you going to do with this lesson? What are you going to do with God's message to you today? There's many different types of people in this room, but also there's many types of spiritual situations in this room. And Joe mentioned it in his prayer, and I want to reiterate Somebody in this room, maybe more than one, needs to confess sin today. Are you going to do that? Somebody in this room today, maybe even more than one, needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Penitent in your heart and putting the Lord on in baptism. Baptism. Are you going to do that? We have been blessed by a Father who loves us so much, a Heavenly Father. He has made it clear that His desire is that we live with Him and that we be with Him for eternity. The passage that Jacob just read, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So as you contemplate what you are going to do with God's message today, let's all get in our heart right now, please, to have an open mind and our hearts receptive to the message that we're going to present. It's God's word, and it can change our lives forever. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father in heaven, holy and righteous and reverend is your name. And, Father, we come before you thanking you, Father, for this moment to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that we have. And we also thank you, Father, at this moment for the word that's going to be preached. Father, may it prick all of our hearts. May it change our lives right now and forever to serve you more and more each day. We love you, but we only can love you because you first loved us by giving us your son, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And we know that through his sacrifice and through your sacrifice of love, we have eternal hope waiting for us someday in heaven. Thank you, Father, for that. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Good morning. My theory is wrong. I didn't think it would be a lot of people here because of the cold, but there is. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Plus, my name was on the announcement, so I didn't know that might get some people out of here. We're going to talk about sin today and this morning in our lesson. The lesson is intended to be simple, to understand, but simple does not mean it's not important. What I'm about to present to you is from God's Word. It is biblical to the best of my ability, and if it's not, please let me know. But it also has the potential to lead you into the arms of Jesus. So let's begin by going to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about the origin of sin, which is a very deep topic. I'm not going to get too deep. We're going to talk about it anyway. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created everything. In the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created everything. In six literal days, he created everything. We read chapter 2. We go back to chapter or chapter 2. It goes back to day 6, talking about the man and the woman and the creation of them too. In chapter 1, verse 31, the text tells us that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Very good. It was a masterpiece, if I may use that term. It was a classic, to try to put it in the vernacular we might use. It was actually perfection. When God had created, created or finished the creative process and looked at it, it was perfect. It couldn't get any better. Then we come to chapter 3. It's still perfect, but something's about to happen. As we look at chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, read along with me, please. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat of the, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant To the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Well, let's stop there and talk about this. We talk about the origins of sin, and we think about the location. And here it is in this place called Eden. And Satan is at work scheming and plotting to get man, the special creation, humankind, to sin. And we look at verse 1, and just to look at sort of how Satan works. To me, in these verses, we see almost every aspect of what's going on with Satan, with Lucifer, with the devil, with our adversary, what he's trying to do. 
In the latter part of verse 1, he says, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Does that seem like an innocent question? It does to me. I don't see anything wrong with that. Did God really say that? Satan seems almost innocent sometimes, doesn't he? He'll quote scripture. He'll make himself look okay. Matter of fact, what did Paul write about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So I can see why he would start this way. Just rather innocent way of asking a question. And Eve says, no, well, she answered the question. We've got all this food. We can eat from all of it except for the tree in the midst of the garden. We can't, we don't have to eat from it or touch it. We're to stay away from it because we would die. Then verse 4. When you look at verse 4, does anybody hear a roar as you read it? You will not surely die. Seemingly on a dime, Satan changes and goes from an angel of light to a roaring lion, lion seeking what? Whom he may devour. He's on the prowl. He's looking to take Eve down and her husband with her. And then we also look at verse 4. Again, he says, you will not surely die. It won't happen. He's lying. And we know he's lying, but this shouldn't shock us because who is the father of all lies? In John chapter 8, Jesus himself said that. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But then there's verse 5 of this. And here's where maybe we get a hint of what Satan's really about. The vendetta that he has against God. He says in verse 5 to them, Oh, oh, go ahead, you can eat it. Because God knows the day you do that, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll be just like God. Would you please open your scriptures to Isaiah chapter 14? Isaiah chapter 14. Let's see what Isaiah writes about Lucifer. Keeping verse 5 in your mind from Genesis 3. I'm going to begin with verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14. And it reads... How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And verse 15 goes to state, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit, and he will. But part of those eyes, part of those things that Lucifer is wanting to do, that Satan wants to do, to put himself like the Most High, 
to set himself up like that. And he's going back and telling Eve and Adam, you can be just like God, knowing everything, good and evil. He had a vendetta. So Eden was the location for where sin first appeared on earth. But is there more to it than that? Yeah, we know it was in Eden. Did we even back up earlier looking at Satan? But what was the fuel for the ignition for Eve and Adam giving in? Well, we know Satan's total disdain for his creator and Eve and Adam's ability to disobey. They had the choice and they made their choice. But every time I read this section of Scripture, in Genesis 3, my mind immediately goes to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And you may even know the verses that I'm going to. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, thinking about again, especially verse 6 of Genesis 3. God's word states, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Think about Genesis 3 and verse 6, and see if all three of those, from verse 16 to 1 John chapter 2, does not come into play. For when the woman, when Eve saw the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And she ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate. That was the choice they made. But does it go even further than that? Does it maybe get even deeper than that? That's the fuel, that's the ignition, the lust of the flesh, and the eyes, and the pride of life. Let me approach it this way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's at. Would you go to James chapter 1 with me, please? James chapter 1. Again, letting that verse that Jesus just said reverberate in your mind. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our mind spiritually? Is it on pureness? Is it on goodness? Is it on godly things? Or other? In James chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. And thank you for reading along. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Excuse me. My Bible's coming apart, so that's a good thing, I guess. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one, now here it is. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. For where your treasure is, that your heart is also, by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
Now, there is a sin that entices us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us there's a sin that easily ensnares us. It's easy to practice it. Especially if it becomes my treasure that's filling my heart. So there is, simply put, the origin of sin. Started in the Eden, but backing up, it started with Satan and his desire to disobey God. But now let's talk about this. Let's talk about the ugly truth about sin. We know sin exists. Sin is lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3 tells us. But Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us that all have sinned. That's ugly truth. There's nothing good about that. And if sin is not taken care of, we will be separated from God for eternity. That's a sobering thing to think about. When you think about forever, living forever, and to think about, I can't be with God forever. I want to give you two passages of Scripture to talk about, to maybe to paint as best I can in a word picture the ugly truth about sin. I'm going to first look at Isaiah chapter 59. Verse 1 and verse 2. Isaiah 59, and then I'm going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I knew I was going to have to juggle today, I'm sorry. Isaiah 59, beginning with verse 1 states, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. God can save us. He has the power to save us from our sins and has provided that means, as we'll discuss in just a moment. But Isaiah writes, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. A separation between you and God. That's what my sins do if not repented of, if not taken care of. That's a sobering, ugly thought to think about, to be separated. But then Paul really brings it home to me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1. Again, I appreciate so much you turning these scriptures and reading along. Beginning with verse 6, we read, For after all, it is only just for God to repay reflection those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. Stop right there. God is a righteous God. But God also is a righteous judge. His judgment will be perfect, just as he is perfect, because he is righteous. And if I, if my soul is lost to hell, it's the right choice. 
where if, God, if I find grace in God's sight and he, he allows me to go into his heaven, it's the right choice. To give relief to you and you're afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those... <clears throat> Listen to me. Retribution to those who, one, A, do not know God, and to those who, B, number two, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who don't know God and those who have never obeyed the gospel, have not repented of their sins, confessed the sweet name of Jesus and been baptized for the remission of their sins, these will pay the penalty of the eternal destruction Here it is. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He's not even saying you're going to go to hell, even though that's that's it. He's saying you're not going to be with me. The one who loves you. The one who created you. The one who's given you everything. The one that wants you to be with me forever. He's saying you're going to be separated. Not in my presence. Hell is a prepared place for an unprepared people. And I don't know if it's even logical to talk about, to discuss what the, or determine what the worst part of hell is, knowing that it's hell. But just knowing, and by the way, we will know, we will be aware we're going to be aware we're in heaven and we will be aware that we're in hell. But just knowing that I have separated myself from the presence of God for eternity is all I need to know about hell to try to make some changes in my life if I need to. What about you? Sin is real. It began... And it's real. And it's ugly. It's not a pleasant thing to talk about, but we have to talk about it. But there's also good news about sin. That's almost a paradoxical statement. I get it. The good news about sin. Here it is. The situation is not hopeless. What kind of God will be serving if He just said, You're doomed forever. I'm not going to give you any hope. But he's given us hope beyond hope. The situation is not hopeless. I want to go back to the garden. Well, excuse me, not the garden, but maybe somewhere in the vicinity or adjacent to it. In Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel brought their worship before the Lord. Now, I'm trying not to digress and get off on another point, but... Can I make this point for a second? I'll stand over here. They brought their worship to the Lord. Together, God accepted one, Abel's, but he rejected the other, Cain's. Here we are all together, sitting here, worshiping together. Is that good enough? Or is God saying, yeah, you worship, you didn't. You worship, you didn't. I accept I reject. I accept. I reject. I think so. Just because we're assembled, assembled together 
does not mean individually God saying, you didn't sing with the right spirit. You didn't pray along with Joe when he prayed. You didn't listen to Jacob as he read. Back to this. So Cain's upset. He's pretty mad. He read in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 4, the Lord talked to Cain and said, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting at the door, and its desire is for you. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. But you must master it. Sin is real. Sin is ugly. But we can master it. We can control it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 states, No temptation has overtaken you, but as such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you will be able to endure it. We take those two passages together. And he's telling Cain, as upset as Cain was, you can master this this feeling of hate that you have inside of you. And we now know where his anger was. He takes it out on his brother. And that festered up into murder. But he said you can master it. And here in Paul states in 1 Corinthians 10, God's providing a way to escape it. So what is it that what is that sin that so entices you, that so easily ensnares you? Are you a liar? Well, God's saying you can cage it and master it and control it. Is it a sexual perversion you may have? God says you can control it. Is it thievery? Whatever the sin is, God is saying, and his word is true, and his promises are right, that we can master it, we can cage it, and we can keep it under control. So it's not a hopeless situation. But it's not a hopeless situation because of this, though. The best of the good news is this. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. When the time was just right, God sent his son. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. Born in Bethlehem. Grew up in favor with his fellow man, with his peers on this earth, but also with God. He grew up in around 30 years of age. He was introduced, if you will, by the forerunner, by his cousin, John, who said, there he comes, there comes the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's going to take care of our sins. And Jesus came to him and said, I'm here, John, baptize me. And John says, I'm not worthy to even do the most menial task a servant would do on you. And you want me to baptize you? You need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John did. 
And then Jesus was tempted by the devil. The devil throwing all kinds of things at him. And Jesus, each time it is written, it is written, it is written. And then Jesus goes on to speak and state wonderful things. How to be saved. How to live before God. How to get to the heart of the matter. It's not just that you murder, but murder starts in the heart. It's not that you just commit adultery, but it starts in the heart. Getting to the heart of the matter. Speaking the words of God. He had incredible compassion. Jesus had so much compassion for people. He performed undeniable miracles. He fed thousands of people from a few pieces of food. He walked on water. He walked on water. He brought people back from the dead. He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Christ, the Son of God, but he was forsaken. People turn their back on him in his day like we do today sometimes. And he was beaten. And he was spit on. And he was crucified. But three days later, on the first day of the week, he came back from the dead, openly proving that he is the Christ, openly showing that it's him and him only through which salvation comes. And he had said that before. He said he was the way. He was the truth. He was the life. And only through him can we come through the Father. Only in his name can we find salvation. Acts chapter 4. He went home. He ascended back to his throne. He went back to heaven. But before he left, he said, I'm preparing a place for you. Now, I know talking to the apostles, but it applies to us. I'm preparing a, I'm preparing a place for you. My Father has rooms aplenty. There's plenty of room. I'm preparing it for you. Are you going to meet me there? Are you going to be there when I come back to get you? He intercedes for us. He's a mediator for us. He saves us from our sins. His blood continues to save us from our sins. Final passage. Will you go to Romans chapter 5 with me, please? Romans chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. And it states, For... When we were still without strength, in due time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood... We shall be saved from wrath through him. For, when, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What love. What thought, and what forethought, I might say, that the Father had to give us the gift of his son, 
that through him we can be reconciled and the curse can be reversed from the garden. Sin is as real as we exist. And the ugly truth about sin is we are hell-bound if we die in sin. That's our course. That's our destination. And hell is a prepared place for an unprepared people. But glory to the Father on high. All praise and honor to Him that He gave us His Son that we can be reconciled back to Him. I want to go back to the beginning where we started as our study together and ask you again this question. What are you going to do with God's message today? Because somebody here today needs to confess sin. Are you going to do that? Somebody here today needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you going to do that? Don't let Satan trick you into thinking everything is okay. And don't let Satan scare you into being afraid to change. Don't let sin separate you from God. Let Jesus into your life. Give Him your life right now. Right now as we stand and sing.